Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, good morning, friends. As it is each Sunday here at Eastside, it yet again is a joy and a privilege to be with each of you in worship here on this lovely, rainy February morning. We are grateful that you have chosen to be with us here in worship at Eastside. And if you are a guest with us here at Eastside, it may be helpful for you to know that at the turn of the new year, we entered into something of a new uh, preaching series, congregational focus, if you will. Um, we chose to dive deeply into a, a specific phrase from a longer prayer that the Apostle Paul uh, offers up on behalf of the ancient Ephesian church community, where Paul prays that this ancient church community might be rooted and grounded in love. And if you are new to us and you're new to this faith community, you may wonder how we got here and how we arrived at this short segment from this longer prayer to this ancient church. And uh, if you were here with us throughout 2019, or if you live in one of the neighborhoods on Atlanta's east side, then you may know what our 2019 church focus was. It was very simple. It was straight to the point. And you may have seen these little red and white and black signs in people's front lawns that simply said, you are loved. We as a collective faith community, as we were kind of looking around the world and experiencing the world as it was taking place, we're beginning to have the creeping suspicion that within our own human race there was this sort of rising sense of self-loathing, this sense that humanity is kind of turning in on itself and dealing with a lot of self-corporate self-hatred around our globe. And we began to wonder what is the church, the Church of Jesus Christ, the capital C Church, the local church in different communities, what is it known for when people think of Christianity, when they think of people gathered together in the name of Christ, what comes to mind? And if it's not this baseline assumption, this baseline starting point, that you are loved, then maybe we have some work to do. We spent 2019 seeking to do some of that work, and as 2019 began to come to a close, the question then emerged within our leadership, what, what sort of emerges from the soil of this baseline assumption that you are loved? If, if that reality, if that truth sinks deep enough into our souls and into our beings, and we actually begin to not only allow it to penetrate our ears, but actually begin to believe it, actually begin to allow it to change the way that we see ourselves, see one another, see our world, then what, what comes from that? And actually, our children's minister and arts director, Roxy, she came to me and she said, you know, this, this line from this prayer from Paul really stands out to me, that we are called to be rooted, that we are called to be grounded in that same love. It's kind of building on, it's taking the next step from the soil of God's love being our foundation, beginning our, being our beginning point to asking, how do we build on that? How do we grow from that? How do we begin to enact that in the way we live our lives? And not just the way that we behave externally, but by who we are actually becoming. Because while it is true that each of you are human beings, 
Each of you are also human becomings. Everyone in this room, none of you are static. None of you just exist as you are today and will be the same person 10 years from now. It's just not the way it is. All of you will be different people in 10 years from now. The question I think this text that Paul puts in front of us begins to ask the followers of the Christ is, who? And what kind of people are we becoming? If we're rooted in the soil of God's love, what grows from that reality? So over the last five, now six weeks, counting this Sunday, we've been exploring, we've been using the imagery of greenery, of organics, of plant life. We've been exploring the natural world and asking what kind of a metaphor it provides for us in what can sometimes be the a little bit more ethereal, less uh, easy to sort of pin down realm of the spiritual. We asserted a couple Sundays ago that human beings are not simply biological machines, highly evolved organisms whose experience of life is simply synapses and chemicals firing off in our brains. While all that may be true, it's not to discount the, the theory of evolutionary biology, but in the Christian and Jewish tradition, we believe that we are more than just simply flesh and blood and brains and chemical reactions. We believe that all of this is a gift from God to serve as a platform for the spiritual dimension to intersect with the physical. For God's spiritual dimension, what we name in the book of Genesis as the image of God to be born and to grow and to ultimately reside in, with, and among these bodies that we inhabit. We are more than highly evolved biological machines. We are spiritual beings. And that spiritual nature within us, it has the capacity to grow and to mature to change, to expand, to take up more and more and more of who we are and to influence more and more of who we are and who we are becoming and who we are in the world. The message is etched throughout the pages of Scripture, the language of agriculture, and in the New Testament, the language of seed and of farming and agrarian society, of seeds rooting, taking root, and then growing and eventually becoming the kind of plants that produce good fruit for the world. From Jesus to John to Paul, one of the primary images that we get in Scripture is that of organics, that of plant life, that of nature, when we're talking about the spiritual dimension to our beings. So it's remarkable that so many of our children in our world today don't even understand where produce comes from and how it works and how seeds work and germination and sunlight so in some ways, over the last five weeks, we've sort of been returning to our elementary school science textbooks, looking back at things that we now take for granted as adults, the awe and the wonder that you put a seed in dirt and combine it with water and something happens. That's remarkable. Just sitting back and meditating on that alone, but then when you make the move to apply that to your own spiritual existence and you start talking about baptismal water, the water of life, encountering the fountain that Christ speaks of, the richness and the depth is uncanny. And it's beautiful and it beckons us, friends, to turn our minds and our attention and our thoughts to them. Well, this morning we are kind of coming to the what is arguably the crowning achievement of plant life. The crowning goal, the telos, to use a fancy Greek word, 
the end that is always in sight for the farmer who is planting and cultivating. This morning we come to the fruit that is produced by the tree. And in it we're going to read from uh, another of Paul's letters to an ancient church community, that in Galatia. And we actually referenced this text a few weeks ago when we were looking at another of Paul's letters. And we're going to be actually reading through it this morning and, and understanding a bit of the context and then asking some questions about spiritual fruit, what it looks like to become the kind of people who bear the kind of good in the world that God is calling us to bear. So friends, as you're able in body or in spirit, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. From Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, Paul writes to these ancient Christians, this ancient collective of Jesus followers, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but don't let that freedom be an opportunity for you to indulge in your selfish impulses, but serve one another through love. The entirety of the law, all of it. It's all been fulfilled in that one single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. As I say, be guided by the Spirit, and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires, they're set against the Spirit, and the Spirit is set against our selfish desires. They're opposed to each other so that you shouldn't do what you actually want to do. But if you're being led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. The actions that are produced by selfish motives, they're obvious, since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use, casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, Competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousness, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who do these kinds of things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no need for a law against things like this. And those who belong to the Christ have crucified the self with its passage, passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, maker of the universe and maker of each and every person in this room and on this planet, we have these precious lives with these limited hours and minutes. And God, these people myself included, we have gathered to give some of those minutes back to you in this time of collective worship, in this time of collective listening, because God, on this morning, once again, we need a word from you. We need to be filled by you. We need to be empowered in, with, and through you. We need to not leave this place in the same way that we showed up. 
And God, as possible, I ask that these words that I have prepared might be your word for your people in this time. May you speak through them, God, and as and where will most certainly be necessary, speak in spite of me. As I preach, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of each and every one of our hearts would indeed be good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer, God, our savior. I pray all this in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I have a complicated relationship with trees. Um, I grew up climbing them, hanging on their branches, going so high that I would regularly give my mother um, the edge of a heart attack as I would go so high into the trees that they would start bending and swaying. And my family, we had a wood-burning fireplace, and it helped to cut down on the cost of the heat bump in the wintertime in Indiana, so on Saturday mornings, oftentimes, we would go find dead trees out in the fields, and we would cut them, of course, with the farmer's permission to be on their land, but then we would bring the wood home, and the wood would help to fuel our home, which was also mostly made from wood and trees, the house that kept us warm. So not only did I enjoy climbing in the branches of living trees, I also participated in the burning of dead trees for fuel to provide heat for our family. I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room who has a slightly um, complicated relationship with these realities that become what our lumberyard stock that we build things out of, that we build homes out of, sanctuaries out of, pulpits from which we preach, instruments from which we play, trees. They are remarkable things. They are remarkable things, and it may be no surprise to, to those of you who know me that I can go on a bit of an obsession when it comes to research and studying, and Roxy's inspiration for this series on organics and plant life and agrarian uh, ecology has kind of reignited something in me that I haven't paid a lot of attention to as an adult, the fact that I grew up in the country, and as I was growing up, my um, cousins, in a, in a not so, how do I say it? a not-so-fueled-fruit-of-the-spirit moment of theirs um, referred to me as Nature Boy, and the name stuck for several, several years. And now, like, as an adult, I kind of take pride in that because I was a bit obsessed with nature. I would spend hours outside in the woods and the trees, literally up in the trees, and I was happy when I was outside in the woods and the forest. And the last five weeks have allowed me to kind of geek out and spend some time devotionally studying what a few weeks ago I called the science book of God's natural world, because if we're honest, if we're taking it seriously, the hands of the divine are etched all over the scientific world. We've been exploring Paul's rooted metaphor as it pertains to our own spiritual growth and health. It gives us this beautiful uh, imagery and this vision, this way for us to think about something that is all sometimes very hard to think about, our spiritual realm. But I say uh, a complicated relationship with trees because as often happens when we dive deeply into something that we've taken for granted for a long time, sometimes what we thought was more than we realized was there. And trees... There's some really interesting new research that's come out in the last decade or so on trees, and I wonder if they don't have something to teach us about 
not only our own individual spiritual growth and health, but also about our collective spiritual growth and health. I did not know this until recently. A member of my small group actually said there's this, it was a segment a few years ago on NPR that you should go look up on trees, and I did. And it was a 25 or 30 minute podcast that blew my mind, I kid you not. Apparently, the roots of trees, the roots that Paul says put down in the soil, they're not as good as you might think they are at actually sucking up water, but even more so allowing for the nutrients to fit through the the tiny little porous areas that the roots have. They can get the water up okay and some of the nutrients, but they cannot get what they actually need to grow and to thrive and to become what they're capable of. Uh, I think it was last Sunday as we were talking about leaves and photosynthesis that I talked about the fact that if trees only lived on the light that they received from the sun, they would only be about that big. Everything else that they need comes from the nutrients in the soil beneath. So, what this interesting little podcast and then now the longer form book that I'm reading lays out is this crazy reality that underneath the soil, in and around the, the roots of these trees, there's this little fungi And this remarkable little fungi operates kind of like fiber optic cable for these trees. They're like tiny little tubes. And they stick themselves in the roots of the trees, and they serve as the channels or the pathways that feeds the root systems, the nourishment and the water that they need from the soil, the fuller extent that they need. And then they receive from the photosynthesis and the sunlight the sugars, the glucose that they need as little fungi to live and to do their thing. But the really cool thing about these fungus is not just the fact that they feed the trees and the trees feed them, but that they actually grow and connect the root systems one tree to another. Which means that the trees themselves have this underground web of communication between each other. There are stories of trees with stumps next to them, and the surrounding trees through the root system under the ground keep the stump alive for no apparent reason other than the fact that they were fond of that stump for years and years and years by channeling nutrition through this fungal root system. That's crazy. Amen? The natural world is wild. One tree with a bigger, better, larger, more expansive system of leaves. When they test the photosynthesis and the effect that it has on the trees themselves, they find them to be remarkably equal, even if one tree has a lot fewer leaves than a tree next to it with a lot more. You know what they discovered? It's that the tree with more shares the extra that they're allowed to pull down from the sun with the tree who has less leaves and less coverage. Is that made up? That's amazing. Under the ground, trees are not only communicating, they're sharing resources with one another. The stronger take care of the weaker. A neighboring tree will keep a stump alive for no apparent reason other than there's some familial or friendship relationship there. Some, um, I don't know, some call it the, the wood wide web, which... Do with that as you will. I did not come up with that, but I thought it was noteworthy. (laughs) Now, if that's not crazy enough, if a tree is attacked by a herbivore, uh, a swarm of bugs, or say a, a group of giraffes, 
The tree has the ability to begin to pump chemicals into the leaves that make the leaves taste bitter. So the, the, whichever species it is that's attacking them will all of a sudden go from tasting these lovely sweet leaves to something that tastes poisonous to them and they'll stop eating it. That's interesting and fascinating in and of itself. What's even more fascinating though is that a lot of these trees, especially the ones that we're speaking of that, that, that giraffes would feed on, they also have the ability to, to through the pores in the leaves, spit out an aromatic fra uh, fragrance that then gets carried downwind to the trees downwind from them, and those trees know by smelling that fragrance through their leaves that there's a predator up the way, and they, before the, the, the drafts even get to them, begin to pump out and secrete the toxic, uh, the toxic chemicals into their leaves. So the drafts know not even to bother going downwind because they know that the trees have already alerted everyone down the way. That's remarkable. There's so much that blows my mind about trees, and I could go on and on, but the main connection I want us to draw this morning between tree life and our spiritual lives is this very simple reality that I cannot get out of my head, and it's the fact that Science shows us that trees, they thrive and they flourish together much, much better and in healthier ways when they're close together, webbed together by this fungal community of connection. Trees, they are healthier and they thrive when they live together in this deeply rooted, networked community with this symbiotic relationship with fungus. And what arborists have studied is that when a tree tries to grow on its own, it's never as healthy, it can't sustain when it gets attacked, and if it's struggling on a, in a season with leaf production and it can't bring in enough of the nutrients that it needs, there's no support system around it to keep it alive until the next season. It's way more challenging for trees to survive as lone ranger trees than it is when they're close together in the proximity of a forest communal relationship. Paul prays that the ancient Ephesian church would together collectively be rooted and grounded in love. And as we've explored our own rootedness over the past five weeks, we've looked at how important it is for us as individuals, as individuals, as particular people with our own lives, to prioritize and to take hold of and to own our own spiritual journeys. Because even if there is a forest, there are still trees that are individual trees with root systems. We've explored the reality that it's in the, the water we drink in the world today that many do believe that we are simply biological machines whose experience is little more than chemical reactions taking place in our brains. But we've also acknowledged that within our tradition, going all the way back to our Jewish roots, in the book of Genesis, we are told that when God creates the world, he doesn't just create human beings as matter, but God breathed dust, created with the life and with the image of the divine in, with, and throughout our being. We are more than biological realities. Our biology may be our platform, the space, the carrier, but there's something much deeper going on inside of each and every one of you in this room and on this planet. You're a bearer of the image of God. The psalmist tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
We are spiritually crafted creatures. And a few Sundays ago, we talked about the fact that just like with our many dimensions of our human existence, if we neglect our emotional well-being, if we neglect our physical well-being, if we neglect our spiritual well-being, the reality that we are spiritual realities, then we will malnourish a fundamental and interwoven part of what makes us human. And we may be feeling an existential sense that we are off, we are not right, and we may not even have language for what is going on inside of us. But just like going to a therapist, going to a doctor, going to the gym, eating healthy, we are spiritual beings with a spiritual dimension that if we malnourish it, we will experience the effects of that. foundational to our Jewish Christian traditions that we are spiritual beings created with the God-given capacity. But, but, but the scriptures don't speak of it as this kind of static, set-in-place dimension to who we are. Just like our bodies grow, just like your mind grows, just like your emotional intelligence has the capacity to grow, just like your muscles, if you challenge them, can grow, the spiritual dimension to who you are also has the capacity to grow and to mature and to take more and more space in your life and in your being. And the arc of the New Testament scriptures is this compelling call for followers of Christ to take this invitation seriously. We can grow throughout the entirety of our earthly existence into the spiritually mature beings that God is beckoning us to become, that God is wanting us to become, that God is calling us to become. Deep roots, wide trunks, strong branches, robust leaves that turn sunlight into oxygen. Here's the thing that strikes me about the science of trees, specifically forests and trees and the symbiotic fungal system which interconnects their root systems so that they can communicate with one another and create bonds and care for one another. I don't think it's hard to pull a parallel for us in our own spiritual journeys together. The fact that almost the entirety of the New Testament was written not to individuals, but was written to communities, to read together as a group. Almost all of these letters were meant to be read together in the gathered assembly. Almost the entirety of the New Testament is communal. Jesus' ministry is communal. He's creating community around meals, around his teaching with his disciples, around healing. He's gathering giant crowds and invoking a revolution of the kingdom of God. The ministry of Jesus was about connecting people, bringing people together in new ways. And I think we can learn a lesson from our friends in the forest, something about the profound nature of our own spiritual health. And the fact that while there is a really important individual element to it, a part that you are responsible for, you and God, there's also a collective reality to what we're trying to do together. Our text this morning, the Apostle Paul speaks of what he describes as the fruits of the Spirit. And I've thought a lot about the fruits of the Spirit over the years, and maybe you have as well. And it really struck me 
as I was sort of at the same time looking at trees and forests, and I got to thinking about these spiritual fruit, and I got to thinking about how they wouldn't be as profound if I was experiencing them all by myself in an isolation chamber. It'd be better than not experiencing them at, all, them at all, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. But I, I think that Paul's assumption when he speaks to the fruits of the Spirit, as he's writing to a whole community, is that the, the whole idea is that the point of the fruits of the Spirit is that we experience them not just for ourselves, but also for those people who are in proximity to us. Because I'm going to be a tree planted in a forest, stuck next to somebody, I would prefer to be stuck next to somebody who emanates love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you with me? As opposed to the first list that Paul offers in the text. If I'm a tree and I'm planted next to other trees and I'm stuck there and I'm invested in this reality of this forest with these other trees around me, I would prefer not to be surrounded by the other trees who are known for their self-interest, for their disinterest in the good of and the well-being of those around them. Part of what Paul's point here is, is that in community, we're seeking to experience these fruits because they create a healthy habitat, a healthy ecosystem for everyone in the community together. What's he say the key to the whole thing is? He says it over and over again, but it's almost so obvious that we miss it. I know I have in the past. He's like, the the key to the fruits of the Spirit is the... See, you all missed it too. It's the Spirit. The key to the fruits of the Spirit is the actual Spirit. It's the connection. It's the source. It's from where in which it all emanates and comes. It's the root system that connects us with the nourishing life of God's Spirit. The whole thing is meant to be understood in terms of community. It's all communal. The fruits of the Spirit are, by their own nature, realities that are meant to be experienced together in human-human relationship and human-divine relationship. God is below us in the soil. God is above us in the sun, and we are together as our branches and our roots reach outward to one another. What good does this spiritual fruit of patience do if we aren't sharing life with anyone with whom to be patient? And how patient are we going to become if we're not around anyone who drives us crazy? Practice makes perfect. And love of self is really important. It's fundamental to our ability to love others, but it can't stop with just loving ourselves. That's step one in a two- or three-act move to reach out and love the neighbor, and then to finally reach out and love the enemy. And joy, joy is a fruit meant to be experienced in human relationship, in the experience of life, the robust ways that we together celebrate our humanity, share our lives. Here's where I find the image of the fungal system that connects the root system of trees in a forest to be so profound. Maybe, maybe just maybe the church Maybe east side, maybe if you're not from this church, but the church you're about to go back to next Sunday, 
Maybe it's meant to look more like a forest than it is a standalone tree by itself. Because what science is teaching us, actually in some ways, challenges some notions of the survival of the fittest. It's almost like, no, 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 we survive better when we're all taking care of one another together. The trees teach us anything. Maybe the same is true for humanity, friends. Maybe the same is true for a faith community. When we're all in this together, connected by the fungal system of God's Holy Spirit, connecting our roots. See, I don't think we can become who God wants us to become in this life without encountering one another. I don't think we can pull away and be in isolation with one another and grow in the ways that we're called to grow. Other human beings in our lives serve as mirrors that can sometimes be really uncomfortable. Some of you in the first years or later years of marriage know exactly what I'm talking about. Another human being to share your life with shows you all of those areas in which you still need to grow up, to mature, to do work. Community can be the same for us. It helps us to see ourselves. It helps us to grow. Maybe God's spirit is kind of like the fungal connection of our spiritual root system. Maybe a forest is a profound metaphor or image for what it is God seeks for us as a collective group of human beings who are on this path towards our shared desire to grow up to be maturing humans. Maybe we are called to be a forest-like spiritual collective. We still have our own roots, our own trunks, our own branches and leaves, and hopefully our own fruit growing. But we're not called to experience or grow into any of this alone or in isolation or simply for our own good. And that's the interesting thing about trees. They don't really eat their own fruit, right? We don't produce fruit to consume it ourselves. Paul's actually doing a play on words. I don't know if you noticed it in the text, but he says, if you bite and devour one another... Read, instead of the fruit you should be producing and biting and, and eating and living off of, you might become cannibals and eat one another, which is really gross. Have you seen a community turn in on itself? It's really gross. You've seen a nation turn in on itself? Going from preaching to meddling? It's scary. Paul knows this. We know this. This is why Paul says... Selfishness, selfish ambitiousness, groups of self-interested realities within any group will ultimately serve to create a toxic reality. Instead, we're called to be joined together in a spiritual interconnected web of sharing life, of sharing the spiritual fruit of a disciplined, mature spiritual existence. We're called to produce spiritual fruit and to share it through the bonds of our root systems, to share life together, faith together, growth together, challenge together, to be a spiritual ecosystem, if you will, something that looks something like a forest of healthy, growing, maturing trees. And I know the image can be a little bit hard, and I thought a lot about this throughout the week in, this, in our kind of, we, we do live in a, a society where people are, are constantly uprooted and being uh, transplanted to other cities for, for work, for career. We live in the most mobile society that we've ever lived in in the history of humanity. 
And that can create a challenge when you're talking about creating a forest system and an ecosystem where people are growing deep roots together side by side in a lifelong adventure of Christian discipleship and maturity. Because if you pick up and you have to move, how do you reestablish another community? And I think the only way to acknowledge that is to acknowledge it. It's the world we live in, which means two things, which means some of you are going to be uprooted and you are going to be moved to other cities and other communities and you are going to be in that place and that challenge of being, and this is where I think the language of being grafted in is helpful. You can actually take a branch from a different kind of a fruit tree and you can connect it to a tree and you can tie them together and they will ultimately welcome that branch in if it's done properly. And a tree that is an apple tree can produce pears. And I think sometimes maybe the image of grafting us when we have to get up and move to another place is really helpful. The idea isn't that we have to completely start over and grow all new roots, but maybe we find a community, and if they're doing as I would hope that we do, they would welcome you in, and they would incorporate you into their life quickly. They would graft you into what they're already doing. I hope that as people move to this city, as we continue to grow in our life together, as we're now an eight-year, almost nine-year-old faith community, we wouldn't become insular or isolated or become a tree or a forest that's too tightly woven that new things can't spring up and grow among us or that new folks can't become and be planted in and with us, but that we would be open and welcoming and always willing and ready to graft new people into our community. I have challenged on multiple occasions um, leading up to this message the importance of all of us having some level of our own spiritual discipline, our own spiritual interaction with ourselves and with God. And for me, what I found really helpful of late is the examine from St. Ignatius, and it's this process that, that works through kind of a journaling prayer experience where you contemplate these different, um, different ways of looking at the last 24 hours and then the next 24 hours that are to come in a, in a prayerful conversation with God. And something that has continued to come to my mind, I think because I've been thinking about the metaphor of these giant trees growing deep roots side by side, is if I had the capacity to find a flux capacitor and build a time machine, I know I just dated some of you who've never seen Back to the Future, but if I, could, if I could write a letter to myself 10 years ago, a tree 10 years younger, what would I say? If I could hand deliver that letter to myself, what would I say to, it, to myself? To, and, and this also came into my mind as all these people were doing these decade reflections as the, we turned to 2020. And if I look to myself a decade ago, what would, I, what would I wish I would have been doing? How would I have wished I would have been being? What would I have wished I would have not have been doing or being or ways of inhabiting the world so that now, 10 years later, I would have the kind of branches or the kind of fruit or the kind of trunk, foundation, root system, whatever it may be, I would challenge you in your, in your time alone this week, ask yourself that question. If you could go back to yourself 10 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? What, what would you say? Where would you say, do that, that was good, and stop that, that's not good, and try this, it might change your life. And then I love this because I think you can also flip it right? And you can now, today, look at yourself and imagine yourself 10 years from now with a couple more rings around your uh, trunk, your base, 
Um, hopefully not. And ask if I could see myself in 10 years. And if my 10-year self could talk to me right now, what might that person say to me? The tree that I will be in 10 years, if it could look back and have a message, what would I start doing now? What would I stop doing? How would I stop being? What would I try? What fruit, as an individual tree, would I want to be producing in 10 years from now for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the betterment of our world? And then I think a church can ask the same question since we're coming up on a decade of existence. If you could look back at the very beginning of the little seed that planted his east side, collectively, what could we tell that small group of people that we've learned to do differently or to keep doing? And then as we look to another decade of life and of ministry together, what, what do we see we grow another 10 years, what kind of branches, what kind of fruit, what might we graft into what we maybe more naturally are? It's an opportunity to not just ask questions about who you were, but it's an opportunity to dream about who God is calling you as an individual and we as a collective to become. And in all of it, and all of it, as we do life together, as we seek to be a forest, as we seek to be interconnected with the fungi of the Holy Spirit, may it all be bathed with the fruit of the Spirit, because all of this work is, is taxing at times, can cause us to be tired, can be joyful, can be everything in between. And I think the call of a healthy and a strong growing organism especially when we're speaking of spirit, is that it might be bathed with the spirit-infused ability to exude love and joy, the fruit of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of faithfulness, and of self-control with our siblings right next to us also seeking to grow on this journey. Amen? All in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.